bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Well, look who it is, Roger. Who the cat dragged in. <laughs> Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. Here she is, the belle of the ball. It's me. Me and my male cohort, my partner in crime. Yes. How are you doing? How's, how are things? Day after day, living the dream. What more can I say? It's, you know, honestly, no, it's been good. Things are good. I'm, I'm just getting ready for... Uh, some exciting new projects, some new film endeavors I'm working on with my uh, with my buddies. I'm pretty pumped, and uh, we decided to move full speed ahead on our next project. So we've really been uh, the juices have been flowing, and I think we need it right now. Something artistic to distract us. How about you? You know what? That is awesome to hear. I yeah, I'm doing the same. I I, I finally wrote <laughs> wrote a couple more lines of the script that I've been trying to finish for the last year and. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm going to get it finished. I'm going to get it finished by the end of the month. I, I gave I, I gave myself that goal. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm excited about that because it's. I think it's going to be something that is not hasn't really been done to this extreme before. So uh, I'll be excited to get more details to give more details uh, when when I'm all said and done and ready to pursue it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you know what. I feel now, with the last few weeks, there have been a lot of developments made, a lot of uh, progress, I feel, with where things are going for the country, and um, I'm feeling that good energy, and I think everyone's kind of getting ready to pounce for when, like, things open up a little bit. Like, even here in Cleveland, they just moved our, like, we can, restaurants can be open till 10 p.m., but they just announced that they're moving them back to 11 and it's little things like that, you know, little things where I'm like, okay, and slowly we're loosening the belt a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I live in Texas, so things here never really closed completely. Uh, so it's interesting to to hear or to see friends that are like, that have been in like LA, New York, uh, Chicago, where you like the, the city is literally shut down and you can't do anything. And here... You know, I think the only time we shut down, like maybe in like April, but Houston has been pretty much going strong, open for the last several months. I mean, we have the mask mandate, um, but yeah. So, I mean, bars, restaurants have been open for for a while here, um, and trust me, they're busy because I drive by them. Um, and you know, I've been back in school for months now, and we just found out that we are. Uh, allowing all of the freshmen to come back on campus next month. So uh, yeah, things are definitely moving forward. But you know, I, and it's it's really inspiring to see people like posting about projects that they're they're doing or they're 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 working on. So I'm like, you know what? I I need to I, I miss that whole aspect of film pre production yeah. and having a project that I'm that I'm working on that I'm that I'm preparing for that I'm casting for. So I'm gonna finish this damn script. It's I'm I'm pretty close to being done and. 
I wrote a scene today. Or I, I guess one of the reasons it's taken me so long is because I really decided if I had to decide if I wanted to do what direction I wanted to take this particular scene. And if I wanted to go like the really unexpected way or go the cliched way, because either way is going to piss people off, I think. So. <laughs> Rock the hard place. So I made a decision. And- oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. My team, they, uh, they've been working on this really awesome um, special effect for a few weeks now and I've been seeing it develop and they showed it to me the other day. And it was one of those things where I was like, Oh wow, this is really something, this is reason to get excited for something because they're really putting their brains together to be creative and, and do some things that on this budget is often hard to pull off. And it was one of those things where like it blew my skirt up a little bit, you know? So I feel, yeah, things to look forward to. Yeah. Well, it's not hard to, for your skirt to come up. <laughs> Who are you telling? <laughs> All these heterosexuals listening to our podcast, they don't want to hear about that. <laughs> Breeders. <laughs> Breed. Oh, I haven't heard that phrase forever. Good Lord. I'm getting old. Um, as old as this movie. Oh, God. Okay. Well, yeah. So there you go. You can lead into this movie. Um, you know, last year or last year, last week, we, it seems like a year, but last week we talked about the wonderful hide and go shriek. I loved it. Yes, you did. And you know, when I chose these two films, I'm like, I was trying to think of a theme. I, I've, I've wanted to cover Hide and Go Shriek forever. Yeah. So I stuck with a theme, and the theme is a store. <laughs> <laughs> a store. <laughs> okay. So both films take place in a store. So this week's film is the supermarket slasher Intruder from 1989, directed by Scott Spiegel. And you had, had, have you seen this before? I always ask that. No, but in a similar scenario to the, the last week, I had seen a, again, a kill compilation with a very specific kill from this movie. And I'm sure you know which one it was. I had seen that scene in its entirety, but I've never seen this film uh, to completion. So no, this is another, yet again, my eyes are being opened to something brand new. Thank you, Troy. I am constantly popping your slasher cherry. I tell you. That's how I like it. Keep it consistent. (laughs) Intruder. Uh, Yeah. I watched the film. Obviously, I've seen this film. I remember. You know what? Okay, so I have a quick little story about this film that'll that'll age me. But this was a film that was one of those, like, I I don't think it was a video nasty because I think it came out past that time. But this was a film that back in the late 90s, like when the internet was first a thing and I was my little gay horror person trying to watch all of the horror films that I could find. This was one that was always mentioned as being, oh my God, this is the, the, the most extreme, you know, graphic slasher film of the 90s or of the, of the 80s. It's super hard to get a hold of um, because the versions that made it into rental stores um, were the, was the R-rated version because I've seen the R-rated version. That's the version I watched for the first time years ago, and it was I didn't know any better. And it's completely a different film than the unrated version. Really? I mean, I think they. Well, I mean, it's the same film, but the reasons for watching it are just gone. <laughs> right. You know. So it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's everything. There's. It's like eight minutes are cut. So when I was on the internet and I found out that there is this, you know, 
the the unrated version. You have to get a hold of it. It's super rare. My little gay ass went on eBay and bought a bootleg VHS copy of the unrated version of this film for like 40 bucks. And this was in the late 90s. Um, so that's when I that's my experience with this film. And I watched it and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> We should just dive into this because this film is basically, oh, it's it's a slasher version, uh, creativity creativity wise, of like the Evil Dead because everyone involved in the Evil Dead franchise is involved in this film, um, in some in some regards. So, and you really kind of see the evil dead influences not not necessarily maybe plot wise or story wise but definitely camera trick wise yeah. um yeah. And, and things like that gore wise obviously so the film like i said directed by scott spiegel and the cast is really great i'm yeah. surprised they gathered a cast well I guess back in the 89, you did not know that, you know, Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi were going to, we're going to become who they are now. Right. Uh, but they also had some old time actors that they got for this film that, that came kind of out of nowhere to do these like little minor roles that we'll talk about. Um, but you have Renee Estevez um, in the film. Um, Danny Hicks. Yeah. Danny Hicks, who's done a lot of Tarantino stuff. Um, several of these actors have done Tarantino stuff. It's just, this is crazy that the cast at this, what they've gone on to do. Yeah. But anyway, the film centers around a supermarket, Walnut supermarket, um, Walnut Grove. I was going to say Walnut Grove. It's not Walnut. That's Little House on the Prairie. Walnut. (laughs) (laughs) We keep coming back to Little House on the fucking Prairie. What? (laughs) I'm going to figure out a way to throw a little house on the prairie in here every chance I get. Walnut Lake Supermarket. We don't have um, Mrs. Olson's not here. No. No, unfortunately not. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That'd, that'd be a whole different movie. <laughs> but you have a, a group of workers working the night shift at the supermarket, and basically someone starts picking them off one by one in some very brutal ways. So yeah, that's, that's the plot. Uh, the film starts with this very generic looking opening credit sequence. It's just like a moon on the screen with like blue cast names on it. It's very cheap looking like you're, you would think, Oh God, what am I getting myself into? But I love the, the score that's behind this. Yeah. The score overall, like we've been talking about the last few, I think the score has left an impression. And honestly, like if any of the films that we've watched as a lower scale, lower end slasher movies, this score in general, beginning to end, impressed the hell out of me. It was very, um, it felt very high end and like lavish and just was really well, um, Really well done. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the standout aspects to begin with. But yeah, it, it starts off with a really strong score. And I I had a note right here that I said, I bet you anything Troy is going to comment on how lackluster these credits are. So, and yes, they are they are lackluster. But aside from that, the movie really kind of kicks into high gear right off the bat. Like, you get into storyline pretty quick. Yeah, you, oh, you do. You Well, you're introduced to uh, the two cashiers, Jen, played by Elizabeth Cox, 
and Linda, played by Renee Estevez. And they are just having some some typical teenage girl banter at the cash register. And there's an old man who's trying to check out. Um, and it's, it's it's this old man who apparently I I I, I have his name, but I, I, he he used he was on he did the Three Stooges, basically. The old man that's in this movie did did several episodes of the Three Stooges, and his catchphrase in the Three Stooges was. Hold hands, you love birds, because apparently in the Three Stooges he played a um, justice of the peace who married people, and so he would always say before he married them, "Hold hands, you love birds," and it's Emil Sitka is his name. So yeah, it's it's kind of funny. So remember, he's all grumpy in this in this opening scene, and he bumps into those two people as he's leaving, and he says, "Hold hands, you love birds." So that's kind of a, a throwback to his whole Three Stooges days, which I n- never knew until. I I wonder how the hell they stumbled on that gem. Like he's like he's like oh, the only way I'm going to do it is if I get my token line added in the script. They're like, um, okay, sure. Who is this guy? Like, I mean, like more power to him. I'm sure he's of relevance, and I'm sure that he should be respected for his contributions. But um, I have no idea who he is, and like, good for him that he has a catch a catchphrase. Yeah, maybe he's a relative or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody would ever, have, you know, probably caught that, especially the people that are the audience for this type of film. And I'm wondering right. if this. I'm wondering if this old dude actually ever watched the, the completed film. <laughs> uh, but. I can't. Yeah. Um, so Jen and Linda. Yes. And so after this whole uh, encounter with the old man who, you know, is kind of grumpy and uh, his grocery sack breaks and he's, you know, all pissed about that. Um, Jen goes out to get to round up carts. And while she's out there, it's very apparent that someone is watching her and he pushes a cart towards her. Um, she kind of looks around. Nobody's there. She goes back in. And, um, basically what we find out is that it's her ex-boyfriend Craig because he's, he gets in her line and he is really pissed that she has, won't return his phone calls. And she's trying to explain to him that, Hey, it's over. Um, I'm sorry about what happened at this point. We don't really know what happens. We do find out, but. Uh, and he gets violent and they, the other store workers have to come and there's a big struggle. He like pushes this poor kid into the, the rack of potato chips. Yeah. I mean, it is quite the fight. Like there are sound effects and there are multiple bodies jumping in. They, they use the most generic punching sound effect. I think it's like literally like the basic, it's so ridiculous. And every time there's a fight, and I assure you, there are more fights throughout the course of this film. They cut to the same soundtrack. That's like a like you know, like that '80s like yeah, 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 <laughs> like action, like music that like you you totally would expect to hear in like a TV show with like a you know choreographed fight sequence, which is very much what we get in this uh, this film a few times over. That was one thing that like, kind of threw me off. Yeah, but. these fight scenes with <laughs> yeah, just the, the, the corny punch sound effect. Um, so anyways, they he gets away. Uh, Craig gets away. And Craig is, God, he's an asshole. He's a dick. He's a total dick. 
So they go searching for him and, you know, that we get to kind of see like the layout of this grocery store. And let me tell you, what better fucking setting for a slasher film than a grocery store? Oh, I'm sold. After seeing this movie, like, I mean, well, first of all, I don't know if you remember this specific sequence, but there's a scene in um, My Bloody Valentine 3D set in a grocery store that also really very effective so i was like this is just going to be like one big elongated version of that and it was and i'm thrilled about it and yeah um they do a really great sequence here where you kind of have a few of the guys walking through some of the rooms and it's just like this long drawn out sequence of you really getting an idea for a the size of the store and be like the key locations you're going to kind of come back around to uh later on in the film they kind of like set the stage and i really liked that um just because you very much got an idea of the kind of environment that the, that they're in and I love the usage of shadow play and everything. Yes. It's a very um uh, atmospheric location. Um it's a very small town ho- grocery store that you know someone like me or you who grew up in, in kind of small town Midwest America are very familiar with. Like it's not a huge like box like Walmart superstore. It's a very you know quaint kind of even creepy store. And it was really kind of cool um, seeing like, and you know, like just how things used to be. Like there's, <laughs> they actually have cashiers that ring things up. You don't have to do it yourself, you know, and <laughs> just all these, these old time cash, cash registers and stuff. So it's kind of a trip back in time for us that remember, but yeah, you get, you get everyone going to search for, um, for Craig and Jen goes into this little office thing and she calls 911. And while she's trying to explain nine one one what's happening and giving them the address, Craig pops in. Oh, and can we can we backtrack because during this fight sequence, and this is what really made me hate him. And then like even like the ending, I'm like, uh, it's not gelling with me. The end of this film because he fucking punches her. Yeah, he's like his character. Um, they can make him. <laughs> They make it pretty impossible for him to have any redeeming qualities pretty much right off the bat. Because some of the things he does and says and his physicality with her and with everyone else in the group, um, it's pretty, it's just unacceptable. (laughs) Like, you you would go to jail for that. Yeah. I mean, he he decks her hard in the face because then that whole, her whole nosebleed becomes a kind of an important plot point because her nose is bleeding throughout the whole film. And then there's one particular scene that we'll get to where it comes into play, but um, yeah, he's an asshole. So he like confronts her and like is very violent, like slams the door, throws, grabs the phone, and throws it away from her, gets in her face. But then he's like, I want my change because you know, he bought cigarettes and she gives him his change. And then he's trying to kiss her. Ugh, this dude is a douche. Yeah. And they grab him and, and throw him out. Okay. So you think that's, the last of him. And you know, it's, it's very, I think purposely done because he's being set up as a, as a red herring, obviously. Very much so. I mean, like he is pretty much being set up as the only red herring. It's the way they, they film the whole course of the film up, or at least three fourths of it. It very much is set up to feel that there's no doubt. Or so you think who's doing this, the way they frame certain shots and the way certain things play out in that sense. I, I um I tip my hat to them because they did a pretty good job of making me feel there's no way it can be someone other than this guy. Um, but but yeah. So and the, the nosebleed, there's something you know. It, nosebleeds make me uncomfortable. 
I'm just gonna be honest. They make me they make my skin go because I know how it feels to have blood, you know, uncontrollably coming out of your nose. I don't know how they timed it. I don't know if they had like a release button on the whatever was in her nose, but like you know, she's moving her head around. She's looking around, and all of a sudden, her nose just starts bleeding. I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? It's honestly a very <laughs> creepy effect. <laughs> it's it's a very effective moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because. Craig is lurking in the background of so many of these shots. Like you'll just, there'll be a shot of like her and Linda talking. And in the background, you see him just standing there outside, just staring in. It's so creepy. Yeah. You're, I mean, in the film is called intruder. I do not like that name. I the, it just, to me, it doesn't fit this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The original title apparently was the night crew, which isn't much better, but at least it it's applies to what, uh, what's, the, the, what the movie's about, you know? Once they get rid of Craig and everyone's down on the, you know, on the main floor of the supermarket, um, they're jokingly, one of the characters is like, oh, now can we get a raise? And this is when you find out that tonight is one of the last nights the supermarket's going to be open. And the reason that all of the night crew or all these people are actually working, scheduled to work this night, is because they are going to spend the night overnight changing all the prices, um, like marking down all the prices of the, of the products in the store so that they can sell because they're going out of business. So everyone's losing their job. Um, they're bummed. Uh, and you get the character of Bill, who is played by Danny Hicks, and he is quite the character. And he is obviously not too happy about the fact that the store is being sold because the, the kids are questioning him, like, how could you do this? And he's like, no, I didn't want to do this. It's, it's Danny's. That was his doing. He owns 51% of the store. I own 49. Um, store is my life, blah, blah, blah. So you're like, okay, yeah, this poor guy. It's just a white collar worker or a blue collar worker who's losing his job. And he's kind of upset about it. And the, his dialogue leading up to this point consistently throughout the film was very, um, I liked how, how they were playing this character, uh, relatable, likable, good dialogue, sense of humor, um, a lot, very quirky. I like how quirky this guy is, but like, I feel like at the same time, like everyone has actually worked with someone like this before, you know, I, I, I liked, honestly, I liked all the characters up to this point, even some of the, the ones that didn't do a lot because um they felt very natural Mm -hmm. the writing very natural the inflections a lot of the actors uh as they're having these dialogue moments and these little conversations you're getting these really cool little uh like quirks and and personality traits that i don't know i don't think you get from a lot of films in the genre um i feel like these actors like spend a little extra time really fleshing these characters out maybe it's a raimi thing like i don't know if like you know what I mean, but like maybe because it's like a production, and he's known for his like personality and his characters and how he writes his characters. I wonder if that had influence because, uh, like I think uh, the the one character I think his name is Tom, like the surfer or no Bob is it Bob Bub 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 Bub, and like he like totally had like this like voices inflections man, and like you know like there are these like little things that like all the characters have that like it just kind of took it a step above, you know. Yeah, I, and I do think it partly is because I think many of these, many of the cast and crew of this film worked together before, like on the Evil Dead films. So they had a rapport um, that made it possible for them to come across as very realistic, 
naturalistic when they are interacting with each other. But yeah, that Bub's voice did kind of get on my nerves. It's that very preferred, like, yeah, like you were, like you were doing, but character wise, there are some issues because there are a couple of the characters that I could, I had a hard time remembering like their names and couldn't keep them really apart. So I think that the film, when it focuses on specific characters, it's really good. You like, you feel for these particular characters, but I feel like there's about three characters in this film that I feel like the film didn't really care about, if that makes sense that they were there just to be killed because like, like produce Joe, who's played by um, Ted Raimi. Yeah. Doesn't have a lot to do. His whole performance in this film is like his headphones on and he's dancing while he's chopping produce and then there's that other one that god forbid i had to find, i had to search for his name because i'm like i don't know who this is I, I kept getting him confused with like the male lead and it's at tim yeah there's three guys overall that are just kind of like workers in the store that are basically just sacrificial lambs um so yeah i i hear you on that for sure i don't know i i see i never had seen this before and i I don't remember any of the names, but I still feel like I remember like the placement of where each character, like who they are, what their personality is like. And maybe that's because like a lot of them are listed as where they work within the store as well. You know what I mean? But um, at least, I mean, like Joe had like this weird quirky personality and he had the whole thing with the headphones. At least they did some things to kind of define these characters. But yeah, other than that, they really didn't do anything other than the scene coming full circle that you're talking about where they're sitting there talking about what they're going to do after losing their jobs and you're getting a little bit of character development. And that's pretty much what they give you. After they find out they're losing their jobs, um, everyone goes back to work and Craig begins calling the store and like harassing Jen. And that is when we find out because Linda is like, she hangs up and the phone rings immediately again and Linda's going to answer it. And, and Jen's like, no. Um, and Linda's like, well, this guy's a jerk. What happened? And we find out that what had happened was the previous year, Jen and Craig were going out together and they went to a club and Jen basically broke up with him at the club and it caused him to go into a rage and he got into a fight with the bouncer at the club and he ended up killing the bouncer at the club. And so he has been in prison for the last, what, year and a half for manslaughter, and he was just released. So reassuring. Yeah. So there we go. There is another huge, like, oh, can we put a, can we wrap this guy in a red flag? Because we know now he's capable of killing people. Okay. Um, so yeah. So that's kind of that. And then the phone rings again and you get that scene where Linda answers it. She's like, listen, you asshole. And it's her boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Bring some beer home. <laughs> and I like Linda and I feel like I love Renee Estevez and I feel like she was so underused in this film. I think. Yeah, definitely. And I, I almost would have preferred like character switches. I think she should have been the final girl and the other girl should have been Linda because I didn't really ever fully connect with the Jen character through the performance of the actress. I don't know what it was. I liked her portrayal of fear when she finally got to express it, like her, you know, those moments of fear and everything, but her acting, um, there was some, her acting, it, it's very uneven. It's very uneven. 
very anybody. Like some of the some of her little inflections are really natural and like little pauses she does and everything. And then sometimes she'll give a line and it'll be like this, like she's talking like this. And I'm like, wait, I'm very confused. So, um, but yeah, I, I hear you on that. I do. I hear you on that. Then we get so oh, okay. So when this is where we start getting those evil dead type camera tricks. Because when um, Linda's on the phone, we get this really interesting creative shot that is like through the phone. Like it's one of those old dial rotary phones. And the shot is like the camera is below the rotary dial of the phone. So the camera is looking up and you're, you see like the holes in the rotary dial and you're looking at. I mean, that's just like I would have. That's just super yeah. creative. But it's kind of the same thing you would see in the Evil Dead. Um yeah, there's so many little shots. Like there's, I mean, there's the shot of the camera being planted in the cart, right? Like pretty early in the movie. And it's like that whole, like the movement through the perspective of the cart. There's a shot through um, like a green alcohol bottle, like filming through it. And it's like really murky. There's shots and like reflections in the glass. There's that one conversation between uh, Linda and Bub that's filmed in like the glass part, like uh, like in the cooler, like the reflections at the top of the cooler where you see like their, their faces, like looking at each other, just these cool little angles and shots and creative choices that are made. Uh, usage of shadow too is really impressive in this. Yeah. I like all these shots and you know, it, it, it shows that they um, put some thought into this film and the construction of it. It wasn't just a, you know, like so many of the eighties, you know, slasher films, like direct to video stuff. You could tell we're just thrown together without much thought. Uh, very by the numbers. I feel like this film, you can tell there was thought put into the construction of this film. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, it seems like they didn't have a lot, but they did what they did do was make up for that with um, intentional creative choices. Like the sequence where um, uh, Bill is in the basement and he sees the doorknob turning, which is actually kind of basically where we're at right now with the description of things. He's Bill's in the basement. He looks over, he sees that the doorknob is turning as though someone's like trying to get inside. And the camera, you see Bill from the perspective of the doorknob rotating. And he's, yeah, he's, and he's like covered in shadow. It's really dramatic. And he like tilts his head. It was just really well done. And I remember seeing that and being like, this is a pretty advanced sequence for like the style of film that I'm watching. I was actually very impressed. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean like right after this scene with the phone, you get Jen sweeping and the camera is like below the broom, like it's in the broom bristles. So you're, you're the, as as she's sweeping, you're, you're the camera and it's like following her sweeps. And like, she throws down that, well, she finds a note that, that Craig left for her saying, I'll do anything to get you back again. How many, like red herring things are we going to give this guy so that the audience thinks he's the killer? I mean, it's just almost gets absurd. Um, but like she crumples it up and throws it down and it hits, you know, basically it's like hits the camera lens and then the broom again becomes the camera. It's really cool. Like I said, the, the shots in this film are, are really, really good. And I, I don't know, like, you know, like a younger audience, if they really like when I, I remember watching it, I didn't, think about it but i thought it was kind of goofy like the first time i saw the shot through the phone i'm like watching it again now knowing what i know i'm like they really put some thought into what they were doing 
And then so you get uh, ja- you get Dave, and I loved Dave to death. I think Dave's character, first of all, he's cute. He has a nice ass. Agreed. Agreed. But he's you can tell he's a sweet guy. And he asks Jen out, and they kind of get their little moment where she accepts, and you're like, oh, this is so cute because Dave is so much more better for her than this asshole that we've seen so far. Uh, yeah, she's finally getting something to make up for this abusive relationship she's had. Which really is sad of, in terms of what happens to <laughs> the poor Dave later. Ooh. Um, okay, so then you get the scene where they're all eating lunch, and Bill um, reveals that he was a volunteer file firefri- firefighter. Yeah, he tells this story about what stopped him from being a firefighter was this accident they that they had to go respond to. And one of his co-workers, there was like a headless body laying in the middle of the road. And one of his co-workers was eating lunch and like had a hamburger and was walking down the street and found the head and came walking back, holding the head and the hamburger. Um, and he was telling the story when all the people were trying to eat. So they're all like, Ew, that's gross, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's kind of an interesting story and it, it actually is the same story that was told in, um, raising Arizona, the Coen brothers film. The exact same intentionally the same story. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. So I haven't seen raising Arizona for years, but apparently this, this, this tale is from that film. Um, I don't know. Weird. You got Coen Brothers, you got Tarantino, you got Ramey's. I mean, come on. Unexpected connections. Yeah. And then, let me think. And then the bumbling cops show up, finally, because it seems like Jen had called them hours before. And they are like the most inept cops in the fucking world. What is Bruce Campbell? No, that's Bruce Campbell's at the end. That's at, he's at the end. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, now I feel like an idiot because, like, I was like, you barely see the guy. I was like, "Well, that must have been the cameo." No, Bruce Campbell's one of the cops at the very end of the film. No way. Uh these two cops that show up, are, and see, I I look on IMDb just so I can make, get names straight and stuff. These two cops, apparently, the actors were in Green Acres, both of them. I mean, like, I guess I know. Like, I was looking. I know all, the old man. Like, I. Couldn't even really put together who they were. They were in it for like a, a moment. They come in and they are incompetent, and they're like, "Oh!" And then they leave. Like, there's no purpose. They don't do anything. No, they don't. And yeah, the old the old man was like the the goofy guy from Green Acres. Like, the, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So it's so weird who they got to be in this film. So they're like, "Oh, well, let's see who we can get." The guy that used to play the Justice of the Peace in the Three Stooges. And we got an actor from Green Acres. <laughs> yeah. It's just so odd. Like, so odd. I don't understand what they were going for. Like, and like I say, did, did these poor, did these poor old actors like watch this film after it was done to see what, did they even know what they were in? They, I mean, did they even survive to the point of the screening? <laughs> they got a lot of very elderly cameos in this movie. Yes. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, they're worthless. Like the ones like, oh, here's my card. He pulls it out. He's like, oh no, that's not my card. Here, uh, oh sorry. Yeah, they even say as they leave, they're like, now I feel real safe. 
And then, okay, so this is when the movie, after this scene, this is when the movie really just kicks into like slasher goodness because you, this is one of those films where the kill scenes come quickly once they get started. Like once the, once the killing starts in this film, that's all that you're watching for like the next 20 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's not like hide and go shriek where the death scenes are few and far between and kind of spread out. Um, once they start, this movie is kill count. It's just, a, it's kill count beginning to end. Yeah. <laughs> this is where Linda or Renee Estevez takes her little groceries and goes to her car. And as she's putting the groceries in the car, someone, I guess we're assuming it's Craig just because that he's been painted to be the killer grabs her and you see a knife and her death is off screen, which is very interesting to me in terms of how gory this film is like to make the very first kill off screen to me is a very interesting choice. And I don't know if, I don't know the purpose behind it because generally films like this, they want their first kill to be like really like graphic to set the stage for what's to come. Because as a slasher fan, if I, when I watch this first kill, I'm like, oh, great. All the fucking kills are going to be off screen. Do I even want to keep watching this? Right. I don't know how you felt about it, but I was like, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. No. Well, they cut to that watermelon shot. And like, I guess like that's a, that's a shit that they use a few times in this film, cutting away to, to something like a piece of meat being cut or something like that. But they still do it while incorporating visual gore. And this was, um, yeah, this one, uh, you know, when I saw it, again, I've heard this movie is very gory, and I was pretty surprised. I was like, wait, what? I was anticipating something bigger. Um, I even thought that maybe I had, like, not gotten the unrated cut. Like, uh, that's how I felt. But, um, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And then my only other question with Linda is, like, why? We're not spoiling anything yet. If you haven't seen this film, you shouldn't be listening to this because we are spoiling everything. But based on the killer's motive at the end of the film, her death makes zero sense because she was out of the store. She was on her way home. Like, I mean, she was the only worker that really wasn't scheduled to work overnight. So when we find out why the killer is killing, she, there was no reason for him to like make the effort to go out to the parking lot to kill her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if it had something to do with the fact, because if you keep in mind, there's a piece of dialogue that's said by a certain character about being framed. I wonder if because she was in the store. Oh, yeah, that could be. You know, I mean, like anyone who was there at the time of that, what happened, you know, so I I don't want to overthink it. But what really surprised me was when you look at this, there's only two female characters in a genre that's normally built upon having a female um, focus oftentimes. This is predominantly men and there is no sexuality whatsoever. I mean, there is a, okay, there's a little bit of making out, but like it's it's soft and subtle and cute. Like it's not anything over the top. So you do see a few of those tropes uh, pushed aside here. And I do like that. I did like that. Yeah, I think that this okay. So this is a film that came out in eight, eighty nine. So we are way past the 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 slasher prime of the eighties with this film. 
And I think that this film, I think the screenwriter, uh, Lawrence Bender, who again has, he's done a lot of shit with uh, Tarantino. Um, he, I think with this script with him and Scott Spiegel who wrote the script, I think they were like looking at like all of the, um, criticism that 80 slasher films got in terms of like how they treat female characters because you're right this film only has two female characters and one of them survives and one of them gets an off-screen death all of the other deaths in this film are fucking brutal painful looking and the the the, the one female character that dies gets it's off screen so yeah it's like they took consciously the whole criticism about oh, you know, slasher films are just, you know, violence against women, misogyny. And they like, okay, we're going to make, we're going to do something with that and make this film kind of the opposite. Well, even yeah, even in saying that, like when you think about the context of the film and it kind of deals with, uh, uh, you know, the character of Jen in a way standing up to an abusive relationship in some context too. Um, and, you know, in, a, in an aspect, I guess some of that could, you can look at that being kind of redeemed at the end of the movie, but not really. Like she still um, stands up to to Craig very much and is like, "I'm not gonna be the weak one in this situation." They do. They put the the females. They put in a pretty strong light from the beginning. And then, okay, so after poor Linda, you cut to Bill and Danny in the office, and Danny is trying is like basically forcing bill to sign the paper that basically lets them sell the store and uh bill does so and he's pissed about it and he leaves slams the door um and that's when you get the scene where he he goes outside and then this is the scene where he sees the doorknob turning and he kind of turns with the frame um and he yeah. is outside kind of searching around and he is attacked well, he, he, he runs across Craig, who's like peeping in the window, and they get in this scuffle, and uh, Craig gets the hammer away from um, Bill and hits him with it and knocks him out. Or we don't know if he like knocked him out or he was I, – I think they were trying to lead us to think that he was maybe dead. I don't know. Uh, so you get that whole scene. And then it cuts back to Danny, who's in his office doing paperwork, and this is the scene where it cuts back and it's through the, the green wine bottle. Whole scene is shot through like the, a green wine bottle, which makes it even more interesting looking because as he's doing his paperwork, the killer comes up behind him and takes his, grabs him by the head and shoves his eyeball into one of those, what is that? It's a paper. It's like a, yeah, where you like stab a note onto it. It's like, yeah. It's basically a big nail sticking out of a piece of wood that you, you used to, people used to slam their like receipts down to keep them in one place. So it, it, go, it shows, I mean, it's, it shows it going into his eyeball and there's blood everywhere. And like the blood's dripping. His hands are going off on the, on the um, calculator, like still typing because he's like, tw- he's like twitching and hemorrhaging. Yeah, and then like the blood spills is like leaks onto the bro- the lamp that fell onto the floor, and then there's this shot of the ceiling all of a sudden just becoming red because of the reflection of the lamp. It's so cool. Like again, these shots were just well thought out. Yeah, yeah, and like a lot of them come back into play consistently throughout the film. Like there's a point where you see one of the characters. Um, 
I think like, are they looking through, they look through like the doorknob and they see the red coming through it because of the blood over it. Like you just see a reference to it, you know? Um, they obviously strategically planned out a lot of these sequences because they're re- they're referenced time and time over. Then you cut to um, Jen, who is like washing the, like scrubbing the checkout lane and Dave comes up behind her and they, they kind of make out and Tim watches them. And then Craig also watches them. (laughs) That's kind of a cool scene where like the one where Tim is watching and as Tim is watching, Craig is watching Tim and also watching them make out just like creepy. Off-putting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so they make out, and you're like, okay, this is cool because she's finally she's gonna actually do the right thing and be with this hot guy, and you know, forget about Craig. Um, and it's kind of bold of her to make out with him, like just right out in the open, knowing that Craig is like lurking around. So, yeah, good for her. You get it, girl. I understand he's handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's hot as hell in his little tight little jeans. Yes. Yeah. And then you get Randy, who is Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi plays Randy. And Randy is the meat, the meat guy, the guy that's in charge of like carving meat. And there's a scene, and I can, this is so funny because I don't know if you thought about this, but there's a scene where he's eating olives and there's an eyeball in the olive jar. But then, but nobody, whose eyeball is it? Because nobody had their eyeballs cut out. Because there's another scene in the future where, uh, Jen is walking and she steps on an eyeball. And I'm like, there's nobody who's had their eyeballs cut out. So where are these eyeballs? Well, that one is, is in my mind, because the hook goes through the eye. So she steps on his eye. You know how he gets hooked? Yeah, but his eye is still there. Like you see him hanging and it's through his neck. Yeah, but it's the tip of it's coming out through his eye socket. I, mean, I still got this. I didn't catch that. I'm like, well, there's just a random, uh, there's just random eyeballs everywhere. Apparently. Yeah, the eyeball in the... Um, I wonder if maybe the eyeball belongs to Joe. Could it be Joe? Well, Joe hasn't been killed yet. Or who is it? I'm, um, or not Joe. Um, what's the Dave? Because he gets stabbed through the eye. Is that a reference to his well, eyeball? It could be. Are you talking about the owner? Yeah, the owner. Yeah, they're all very bland vanilla names, as we've <laughs> dealt with before. <laughs> The owner's Danny. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I was just wondering where all these damn eyeballs were coming from. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he bought a supply of them just to throw around the store. I mean, there store. is a butcher section right over with all the pigs and everything. So, yeah. But anyways, after... So this is when uh, Produce Joe, Mr. Ted Ramey, is chopping his, whatever, watermelons, I guess. And he has the the knives in this film are the fucking biggest knives I've ever seen in my fucking life. They're almost phallic. They, they're they are huge. huge. I mean, we are talking. These knives are like three feet tall. I'm like, where? What the fuck? Where are these? They're like a broadsword. Like- yeah. <laughs> so he is chopping, and he's listening to the same like it's the, it's the same song the entire movie, and it's like like three beats. It's rare, 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 rare. I'm like, but when I love a song, I do that. I play it over and fucking over. But he gets basically chopped in the back of the head with this giant knife. And it's a cool scene. You get a lot, you get a lot of shadow play. Um, you get to see like him from the front of his face with the knife in the back of his head and like convulsing and blood just running out of everywhere. 
and the headphones split and drop on either side of his head. Yeah. Then there's a random scene after this where Dave is like, you know, stocking shelves and that stupid guy, Bub, with the weird act, the, the exaggerated surfer accent, wants his, wants his cutter, his box cutter. It's just like, where, what is this, com- where is this coming from? I lost, mine's broke. <laughs> and he uses that thing where he keeps knocking the, um, like, it's, a, it's like a detergent box is over, which keeps coming into play later in the film. But his way of getting attention is like knocking the box down. And by the third time, I would choke him. I would reach through the fucking boxes and choke the fucker. People love to knock boxes down in this movie. Yeah. And then, so after this, it's just this random scene where he wants to borrow a box cutter. And then it cuts to Joe's body being pulled across the floor with his uh, Walkman still playing, but it's playing very slowly now. The song is real, going in real slow motion. (sighs) And then, because these deaths just come so fast, because then you get Tim. Well, you get a scene where um, Randy goes to a door and he thinks he hears he thinks he sees bub or tim and he so he goes through this door and he's tr- right when he's getting ready to open it you see a shadow come behind him but then a ladder falls and the shadow jumps away and then you because you i think you're supposed to think he's the next one to get killed and he's like oh who put this ladder here oh it was me <laughs> and then it cuts to tim who is like working on doing something with beer cans and he hears something so he goes to open the door and fucking he gets one of these three feet knives just stuck right through his stuff and this is a pretty graphic scene i mean yeah. the knife goes into him forcefully like he flies back against the beer cans and the knife goes into the beer cans because all the beer cans like explode behind them yeah they start spraying and the blood's like squirting out of his stomach and the beer cans are exploding and blood's mixing with the beer and he's like holding onto the knife that's in his stomach and very effective. Very effective. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing I like about a lot of the deaths is they're not, aside from the cutaway that happens early on, a lot of these deaths, like you get to watch the life leave the individual's body. <laughs> like, like this whole sequence, you see him sitting there like, oh God, screaming and just dying and bleeding out and bleeding out and then dying. And like, yeah, it takes its time. It's 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 it makes your skin crawl. It's effective. Yeah, it yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, you this it lingers on him for a while before he finally dies. And it's pain, these deaths are painful looking. Like I'm like Jesus Christ, poor people. Yeah. Just yeah, I don't this like yes. Um Oh, so then after Tim is stabbed, you cut to Bub who is putting stuff in a trash compactor and he, he hears somebody throw something or he hears something and he thinks it's Tim. So he's like in his surfer, Tim, is that you You're trying to give me another wedgie? And I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, news for you. I'm not wearing any underwear. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all right. Let's see it. <laughs> Prove it. So then he, yeah, he he goes over to this like this shelf, and Tim is on the other side, but it's his dead body. You could we know he's dead. He doesn't know he's dead, and he's looking, and all of a sudden he's grabbed and dragged back to the trash compact, violently pulled through this like shelf of beer cans. It's really effective. 
And the, the killer puts his head on the edge of the trash compactor and turns it on. And this is a sight to behold. <laughs> Again, slowly, <laughs> as the camera pushes down into his screaming face, Bud's head is squished like a grape. Yes. And it shows it. It's not, does not shy away. It literally shows like it crushing his like forehead and yeah. going into eyeballs. And then there's just the scene where it just explodes and blood is everywhere. Yep. I mean, these are some painful, sh- these are some painful deaths. I'm like. And well executed uh, effects too, to be honest. A lot of these effects are really like the texture of like a lot of this, like the, the flesh getting separated. Like you see a lot of these really specific details that are quite, um, quite impressive. Yeah, the, oh, the special effects in this film are amazing. I believe Sean Rogers, um, is, was the special effects artist who went on to do, um, a lot of, a lot of other films that we'd be familiar with. I think he did child's play too. Um, I was looking at his IMDb because I was like, who did these effects? Because these are really good. Um, so after poor Bub gets his head crushed, Randy, Sam Raimi is the next to go because he's in his little, um, slaughter room hanging shit on a meat hook. And the killer comes up behind him and lifts him up and slams him face first into the meat hook. Oh God, it's so fucking creepy. Now that's the eyeball that I was thinking was. It could be. Yeah, but no, yeah, it's it's um, and this one you don't you you don't even really see you don't see the penetration of the hook. You see like the force of it, but you do see the after effect and the way they play it out is really um well done. I think um because you see like the yank of the body going down, uh, and then you see the legs like dangling. All of the standard shots you love with this kind of kill. But then the the reveal is it's really a good effect, really good effect. Yeah, he's 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 hang, we see him hang on that meat hook quite a bit, uh, and it comes into uh, it comes into play a little bit later uh, as well. But yeah, it's it's just like these deaths once they happen. That's what I'm saying. They they come so fast. It's basically one right after another. You don't really have time to breathe uh, because they they are coming full force. Um, with not much else going on because right after he gets slammed on the hook, uh, we get Dave who is now looking for everyone because now everyone's dead. Now him, he, him and uh, Jen are the only ones alive, but he doesn't know that. So he's looking for his coworkers because they're, he's like, Hey, we got shit to do. I need your help, but nobody's around. So he, he's kind of exploring. He goes into the bathroom. And again, there's a lot of cool shots when he's in the bathroom. Like there's the shot of him in, in the mirror, the perspective of the mirror. Um, and then he sees like the feet in the stall and he opens it up and it's like severed feet, but he thinks that they're playing a joke on him. He thinks it's like pig's feet. You're right. I'm guessing this is something maybe they have done to him before because that's quite a conclusion to jump to. Yes. That's what I was thinking. They must've done this before because of my first reaction, because it looks very real. Like yeah. these look like severed feet. Mine, my reaction would not be, Oh, these are pig's feet. Okay. Um, so he's still looking. He goes, for some reason, I, I don't know, he must have hear something, but he goes to the, oh, the attic. The attic is a pretty prominent part of this film because everyone wants to go to the attic for some reason. But he hears something, he climbs the steps to the attic, and a fake head falls down. And 
I just thought of nowhere, and I'm just wondering why they have fake heads like laying around. I feel like maybe it was like Halloween decorations or something. But it's like there's like six fake heads right by the edge of the, <laughs> right by the edge of the the, the attic door. I'm like, don't you put your Halloween decorations in boxes and label them Halloween? Right. This is a hazard. <laughs> um. So once he gets up in the attic, oh. Danny, the owner, is th- there, like behind the, the stairs, like, help me. Oh, I don't know how he fucking got there, but that was so effective. I was not anticipating that. And the fact that he's still alive and he's like, help me, help me. It's so pathetic. And he's dripping blood everywhere. It's pretty gross. I want to, yeah. My, my only question was, how did he get in the attic? I wonder if, well, I feel like there is a, uh, I feel like in his office, maybe there's an entrance right over by his office. I don't know. But, but do you think maybe that the killer put his body up there, like thinking he was hiding him? I don't know. There's really no explanation given. And is there one really needed at this point? No, people are getting killed in a grocery store. Like, I'm not going to ask for too much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. He's up in the he's up in the attic freaking out. Danny's screaming, help me, and bleeding everywhere. And he looks through the the security glass window that's up in the attic and he sees Jen down there. And then he sees Craig behind her. And he starts pounding on the glass, like freaking out. It's really effective too. And then he runs back down the attic stairs and like pushes uh poor Danny still there, like screaming bloody murder and blood's dripping everywhere. And Dave gets down off of the um, falls off of the ladder onto the floor and is immediately charged and attacked by someone and then hit in the face with a meat cleaver. Yeah. And you see like the flap of skin go down. But that's not what kills him. No. And this kill is probably the most disturbing graphic kill of the 80s i i i cringe when i watch this a because it's so realistic yeah b because it happens to a character that is probably the nicest character in the entire film yeah like why are you killing poor cute hot dave this way because the killer drags dave to a bandsaw that is used to cut chicken bones and meat and proceeds to push his head through the blade. And it shows everything as he's screaming bloody murder. This blade is going into his jaw, cutting his teeth. His teeth are literally like being cut in half. Yeah. It's gruesome. It's very impressive. Um, this is the scene that I had had seen in a compilation prior. And I remember being like, I need to see that fucking movie. Um, and yeah, you're right. It is like the sweetest character in the film. Like he doesn't really have a negative thing about him. He's just like the redeeming, like potential love interest. And he's killed like so violently. Um, and I remember even like, I, I didn't even put two and two together that this was that scene at first, but like when that, when the butcher knife hits him and like, you see like, it hits the side of his head by the temple and you see like a flap of meat pulled, like peel down. Like, I'm, and it's just so, this whole thing is just 
the whole thing, like him getting dragged across the floor, even it's so brutal and raw and just really off-putting really makes your skin crawl. Because his head is a his head is eventually sawed in half and it's at the mouth too, which I think that just makes it even more disturbing. Like, because it's, it's going through his, his, like his mouth right above his open mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And like cutting his teeth and like, there's the final shot where his head is pretty much split in half, just hanging by like a chunk of flesh. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's just, I felt so bad. I'm like, not Dave. <laughs> uh, he did have a good ass. He did. He did. <laughs> so yeah, if you have not seen the unrated version, you have to, because in the R rated version, it cuts like all you see is the bandsaw saw going, the blade going and the killer put the head down. You don't see anything. It cuts everything away. <gasps> Really? You see nothing. It's like all of the, you see none of the deaths in the, in the R rated version. And the R rated version was the one that was heavily in video stores. Uh, so I remember this film like being, getting a lot of bad reviews by horror fans because they're like, there's films, there's, it's just so, there's nothing to it. But it, when, when the R rated versions or the, the unrated version started to come out, people, I think, looked at this film in an entirely different perspective understandable because like even like the, the head crush scene in the trash compactor that there was nothing all you saw was the head go down on the the trash compactor and him, him push the the button on and you just heard the screaming you saw nothing it was it was it was it's very not even worth watching if i was the filmmakers i would just be uh no pun intended crushed <laughs> to see that though like i mean i can't imagine having that cut from my final product knowing that i pulled off these amazing effects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm glad that now they they have the unrated version is like the, the more prominent version like the blu-ray that's out is the unrated version so yeah um so now jen is the last one left and so she's like where's everybody at so she goes into the back to the meat room and this is where she finds Randy hanging on the meat hook. So um, she screams. She has a great scream. I mean, we got to give her she that. She does. She does. And she's also, um, I have to say, like pretty much right off the bat, as soon as she knows that she's in danger at this point, she arms herself. She she grabs um, a meat hook out of one of like the pieces of meat, and she keeps that with her throughout the whole thing. <laughs> like she is, she uses it, and she uses it. I appreciate that. Yeah, she's 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 a smart final girl, that's for sure. There's another thing she does at the towards the end that I made a note of because you you don't really see it a lot. Um, so she sees someone approaching, so she goes and hides, and she has the hook, and she's hiding all the meat carcasses. And it's kind of funny because right behind her is like half a body cut in half. The bottom half of a body is right, literally behind her. She doesn't see it though, but we see it. And, um, she goes back out and then the guy attacks her, the killer attacks her and she's trying to shut the door of the, the room. And that's when she grabs poor Randy out on his hook and like uses him to secure the door. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. She's a smart cookie man. Like she, uh, she's resourceful. Yeah. So she's going, uh, she's going, she runs out and then this is when like, um, she finds some of these other bodies and. Like she sees like the one body cut in half and there's a sign on it that says half off, 50% off. Um, and then there's another <laughs> body that has 
you see the the crushed head and it's there's a little note next to it or a little thing that's crush proof just all these little weird right cute little things and then someone knocks on the front door of the grocery store she runs up there but they leave before they leave before she can get there and this is when craig comes up behind her and she turns around and hits him in the neck with a meat hook yeah and then she stands there and basically breaks down and, and i wanted to think like oh god like is she being weak? But honestly, like if she is like a 19 year old girl who just, you know, hooked someone to the side of the head, um, I would find that response to be reasonable. To be honest, I feel like her breakdown, it makes sense to me. Um, she just seems like she is like overwhelmed. It's not that it's, I don't take it as a weakness. I just take it that her character is completely overwhelmed with everything that just happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could look at it. Yeah. Cause I was like, why is she so upset? This is Craig. This is the guy that just punched her in the face like an hour yeah. ago. But yeah, I, I think it was more about her because she keeps saying, Craig, Craig. Um, and I'm like, bitch, no, he's abusive. But um, but I think it it's it's more of being overwhelmed. I mean, yeah. And I, I think it's also a buildup for that really awesome transition, like that zoom in, that extreme zoom in shot where she suddenly hears the sound of someone walking and she turns, she's like, who's there? And it like zooms in on her face. And I was like, I think that was really just to build up to that, like that startle, you know? So who's there is Bill. It's Bill. Bill, who we thought was dead out in the parking lot. No, it's Bill. And she runs up and hugs him. And he's like, oh, it's going to be okay, sweetie. I'm going to go call the cops. So he's on the phone. And this is kind of a cool little reveal too, because when he's on the phone, she's like feeling herself and she realizes that there's like, she's feeling her back. And she pulls her hands up and they're all covered in blood. It kind of reminded me of the scene in the opening of Scream 2 when Jada Pinkett's character, you know, pulls her hands away after she hugs Ghostface when he comes back after killing Phil and her hands are all bloody and she's like, what the fuck? Same very, same thing. She realizes now that Bill's the killer because she looks at him and she can now see that he's clearly covered in blood. And this is when he um, chases her. And really effective scene he chases her through the store and then finally gets her and he grabs her by her hair and yanks her and like dragging her by her hair like a black christmas hair pull very much so yeah and um this is when she's like why and we find out that why he did it and he did it because he is just crazy about this store they couldn't let him take it away from them. Yes. He was so distraught that the store was being sold that he decided the only way to deal with it was to kill. Um, and he killed, he says, I couldn't let Danny sell the store from me. And she's like, the night. To which she says, the night crew had nothing to do with that. <laughs> that was my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, he's like, well, I may got, he's like, I may got a little kill happy. Um, but so, yeah, so he's the killer. Um, and he's like, and there's going to be one more death tonight. And so she's able to get a bottle from the conveyor um, checkout thing and bash him in the head with it. And uh, she picks the, um, she has a knife. She gets a knife and she runs. And this is a really cool scene because she, 
hides in like this enclosure that's like a popcorn display. And she gets behind it, and as she's behind it, she actually knocks down a a bottle of something. So like, there's like water that's a puddle that's forming on the floor. She's behind this thing, and he comes, and he's looking for. It. He has his hat. His, he has this meat cleaver, and of course, her nose starts bleeding again. So the blood of her nose has fallen and mixed with the whatever soda or whatever it is. So he sees the blood coming out from under this enclosure and just starts hacking away at it with the meat cleaver super super effective yeah even the score and everything with this moment was really uh really off-putting when she like um off-putting is my word of the day by the way but there's i feel like that term just applies to a lot of these sequences because like when she's looking through the holes in that display and you see he sees her and his eyes like connect with her and he has like a smirk on his face it's very like um yeah he's he's very creepy Uh, i get why this actor ended up being the killer he Um, he pulls it off so she gets away and um he uh, is in the cereal aisle, this damn cereal aisle. And this is kind of an effective jump scare because she's backed against the cereal boxes and all of a sudden he, his hands bust out from the other and grab her. And like he's... And lift her by her hair. Yeah, and he's like choking her. Uh, she's able to get a... Oh, oh, it's kind of fun to see all the old school cereal boxes too. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that, like, I was expecting to see a bunch of, like, fake brands, but it was all things that I'm, like, familiar with. I was like, oh, okay. So either they got permission to use this or it was so low budget, nobody cared. I, I'm <laughs> assuming they probably did not get permission, that they're just like, eh, whatever. I'll get. <laughs> you get tricks, you get Lucky Charms, you get Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah, you get all of them. Um, so she hits him in the head with the wheat germ bottle, of all things. And yeah. falls back, and then this is when she runs back to the front of the store, and the bread guy, the bread guy shows up, <laughs> and he's he like shows up, and you you can tell this guy like he's like I've got ten seconds, and I'm gonna make the most of it. <laughs> well, a little trivia: the bread guy is played by the director of the film. Oh my god! No wonder he's so invested because he shows up at that door and he sees her. He's like, oh, like he looks all concerned, and then before he can even say anything. <laughs> His, he spews blood under the glass and he slides down the glass to reveal Bill behind him having stabbed him and then like pushes his head down. <laughs> he ba- yeah, he bashes his head with the with the top of the knife to f- make him fall. But yeah, this it's it's Scott Spiegel, it's a director, and he gives it his all. He's like flailing, lying down in the most dramatic way. You're like, Scott Spiegel, you're a star. Yes. Not only can you direct, you can act. We love you. And so she's all freaking out. And so I don't know. He he can certainly get in and out of the store pretty quickly because like. Well, because he hangs, he holds the keys up and dangles them at her. But like 30 seconds later, you hear somebody saying, help me, help me. And you, she goes and it's, you see it's Danny's, Danny laying there, his, well, his head is on the side. And he's like, help me. And she approaches and she runs to help him. Yeah. And it's his severed head and it's the, uh, Bill is holding the head like a puppet. <laughs> yeah. Like literally has his hand through the throat of the severed head. and is operating the jaw like a puppet. It's disgusting. While eating a sandwich. Yes. 
because then he, he stands up and he recreates that whole story that he told at lunch about Parker walking down the damn street with the head swinging the head in one hand and the eating the sandwich in the other. Fucking Parker. <laughs> that moment was pretty creepy. I'll be honest. That whole sequence of him like chewing on that sandwich and everything. I was like, it's come full circle. Mm-hmm. So she runs away and she runs back into um, Craig. He's still alive. And he happens to be able to tell her we, the way out is the bathroom window. That's how I got in. That's how we're going to get out. But immediately he is attacked and he is beaten <laughs> mercilessly with the severed head of Danny. Uh, it is crazy. Bill is just. Yeah, he literally just, he beats him into submission with the, with the severed head. He like curls up into a fetus ball on the ground and is beaten <laughs> by the skull. And you just hear that, but it's so funny because it's that same like over-exaggerated punching noise that they've used the entire yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even sound like meat making contact with it. It's, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a comic transformation sound or something. <laughs> Jen is able to get out the window and she runs to her Jeep and we see Linda's body is in her Jeep. So we get to see, at least we get to see what happened to her because she has one of these three feet knives sticking out of her. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them knives laying around. They are. So all of a sudden she is grabbed from under her Jeep. This is a cool scene too. Yeah. And dragged completely beneath the Jeep. (laughs) To the other side. And she emerges and he is above her with the hatchet. And he's getting ready to kill her. And I'm thinking that she grabbed the knife out of Linda. She Okay, so Linda had a knife sticking out of, I think, her back. And so she pulled the knife out of Linda. And when he's like, he's got like, he's got like a, a butcher knife. And he's like, I'm going to cut you. And then she's like, what's she saying? She's like, suck on this asshole <laughs> she like has some final girl line and she stabs him with one of them three feet knives yes she stabs him right in the fucking stomach and he falls he falls back she runs to this phone booth that's very close to her and she's uh calls 911 and he comes over and this is a cool scene too because he attacks her in the phone booth and is like busting out the glass with the hatchet or the meat cleaver and she's yeah. screaming bloody murder. He starts shaking the phone booth, and the phone booth falls. So they, they did some stunts in this film, too. I mean, come on. Because yeah. the phone booth tips over, and like he's like trying to get at her. And this is when Craig comes out and just starts hacking the shit out of him with a meat cleaver. And she climbs out through a break in one of the window panels in the phone booth. So they get him into submission and just beat him down with this meat cleaver into the phone booth he's just like laying there defenseless and his then you see the blade go like between his fingers it's it's vile oh yeah yes they're hacking the shit out of him and then and then the cops show up and this one really is bruce campbell (laughs) and this is this is bruce campbell and somebody else i can't remember who it is apparently someone else that's been in stuff but um I don't understand. I don't like this ending at all. I, Neither do I. This ruins. It doesn't ruin the film for me, but it it makes it less satisfying. 
because the cops show up and they think right away without any knowledge of anything. They like are aggressively arrest Craig and Jen thinking they did it for some reason. Like they, they throw the, they like forcefully handcuff and slam them down on the hood of the police car. And anytime Jen's trying to say, no, it was, they're like, shut up. And they're slamming her head down more. I'm like, okay, you just showed up. Like, you know, a girl was the one that called nine one one. Right. 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 And, um, yeah, you know, it, maybe it's the context of the whole thing hadn't been dealing with her in, like, an abusive relationship. Like, I don't really care about him. He's a piece of shit. But with her character, um, I just don't think it was the right character to inflict that kind of a depressing downer note ending onto. You know what I mean? Like, not only did she have to deal with this whole kind of, like, abusive ex, but she also had to deal with you know, making it through this whole thing and doing a pretty good job of it. Like, she's not a weak final girl. She was not defenseless. Most of the reason she survived is because she ran when she needed to run and she fought when she needed to fight and she armed herself. And I just really didn't want to see her lose, you know, like, or not lose, but, you know, and yeah, like, even the way the cops were manhandling her and she's screaming and, like, getting beaten, thrown around. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah, it's a very odd ending for this film because so far the film has treated, I think the film up until this point has treated the female characters with some sort of respect, if you want to look at it, that that's even the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I think like the film has treated the female characters with, in terms of, you know, with some sort of respect. Let's forget about the fact that, you know, yeah, he the Craig is a piece of shit, but I, you, you get the sense that Jen is strong. Um, she's not just this like, you know, bimbo that's, she's a strong character that, and even though I really couldn't connect a lot of times with the actress and her performance, I, yeah, I did not want to see this downbeat ending because what ends up happening, I guess we're going to assume happening. What we assume happens is because what's his name? Bill is still laying in the phone booth and he's still alive. And he's like, yeah, they did it. They killed everyone. And the cop it's a massacre. Yeah, and the cops are like, oh yeah. God damn it. And like Craig's like, no, he's lying. And like the cop like literally like punches Greg. I'm like, what the f-? or Craig? I'm like, what the fuck kind of cops are you? And then one well, I mean, we asked that, but but uh, yeah, true. But uh so Bruce Campbell's cop goes into the grocery store and he comes back out and he's like, Oh, it's a bloodbath in there, bodies are strewn everywhere. And they're like, all right, you two. And they're grabbing them. You guys are in. And Bill looks at her and's like smiles and laughs. And then she just lets out this scream and the film ends. Zooms into her mouth. And it, <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. It, uh, even well, he, he, he's like laying there dying. And then he like opens his eyes and looks at her. It's, it's, is it supposed to almost be like a supernatural feel? I don't know. It's very weird. Yeah. The ending was not, um, not up to par with, the rest of the film, but I enjoyed the rest of the film so much that I guess it's okay. Even like the climax was great. It's just that final note. Maybe that's why I didn't even realize that it was Bruce Campbell because like I was immediately turned off to what was happening. Like the cops running in, like I was just like, and I was watching how they were like beating her up and throwing her around and it just did not connect. It it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make any sense because She's obviously the one that called 911. She even says it. She's like, I'm the one that called. Yes. Like, you know, a female called 911. 
Like your fir- why is your first reaction just going to be to start like literally being abusive and overly aggressive to the two people that are there? Yeah, you see that there's a guy in the, but you didn't like you don't even try to get any. You don't ask any questions. I guess my only thing is, and I, I guess I'm overthinking this. My only thing is, I, I would think that you know once the, like real police showed up and detectives and they did like a proper investigation of the crime scene that they would realize who the killer was because he wasn't wearing gloves yeah. or, you know, I mean, I, yeah, it was pretty obvious. I think who it was. I need a sequel to see what happened to, to Craig and Jen. I want to know. Yeah. 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 I need to find out, but that's intruder. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I think it was yet another good choice on your behalf, different vibe than the last one for sure. Um, but satisfying nonetheless. I really enjoyed the kill sequences in this one. And uh, I feel like we're slowly making our way through the 80s. <laughs> like, now we're in 1989. <laughs> there's a, well, there's a lot. I skipped several years. There's a lot of other 80s films I want to cover. But this one is, I think this one stands out a little bit, A, because of the death scenes, B, because it is, it's for being a late entry into the 80s slasher genre. It is probably one of the better slasher films of the 80s. And... While I think a lot of like diehard horror fans like kind of know about it, I still think this film is rather under unknown, underrated. Yeah, it's pretty obscure. I um I I would agree in saying that I think it's probably one of the better um, as like a full polished product, better slasher films of the era, mixing like the cinematography with the overall acting performances, with the graphic kill sequences. Um, and it just doesn't feel like your same run of the mill slasher. It has a lot of the same elements, but it's not, um, it, it, it kind of creates its own rules for a lot of these moments too. I, oh yeah, I would totally agree. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's competently made. Um, though there was a lot of care I feel like put into this film, a lot of passion that shows. Um, and you get to see, like, you get to see kind of like the early, beginnings of like Raimi uh and kind of his influence and his his style of filmmaking because I do feel like because these guys all worked on like the Evil Dead films together I feel like this was a kind of a collaborative effort you know I think that probably yeah Scott Spiegel directed it but I feel like this is a I think this very much feels like a collaborative effort oh yeah came into this together and and made this film um as a kind of a collaborative vision yeah, I agree on that. Their humor trans translates too. Uh, Rainey has a certain sense of humor with a lot of his, uh, even his his scariest horror films. I think of um, Drag Me to Hell. Drag, I was just gonna say Drag Me to Hell. Like it's such a great film that there's a lot of humor in it. And um, uh, not saying it's every, uh, not saying that this movie's a comedy, but there's lots of little moments, like the moments with the bumbling cops and lots of little characters and everything. And yeah the old man, like just little things that are kind of weird and a little off. And uh, I like that about Raimi. Yeah. So I'm glad you got to check this out. I, I It's definitely a film that I try to recommend to people when they ask for a, a slasher film, because like, again, I don't think that this film gets talked about or gets the you know attention that it probably deserves because it's, it's very unique. It's a unique film, but it's a good film. And you're, you're not, you're not going to see 
a better string of death sequences in any film. I don't think. Right. Right. You may see a better death scene. I, although I don't think you're going to see a better death scene than the, than the bandsaw scene at all. I think the only other scene I can think of that comes close to it is yeah. from the um, gates of hell, AKA city of the living dead. Yeah. Where the guy's head is pushed through the drill the drill bit. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But that's, we're going to have to do that one soon. Yeah, oh, God, that's good. Okay, so speaking of that, we got through Intruder. Yay. And, and I want to I, I want to say, Roger, this is our 10th episode. Oh, my goodness. 10th episode. I mean, we had, well, technically our 12th because we did our introductory and then we did the Mrs. Claus uh, Mother Krampus one as a bonus. But this is our 10th episode. Double digits. Look at us. Double digits. Double digits. Right? Big day. Big day. We're moving forward. Um, and so the next one is me. I get to make the next pick. And I figured we'd bring it back to the new millennium and beyond the 2010s. Um, I decided that the next one I want to interview, uh, interview <laughs> next one I want to review is um, The Final Girls oh. by uh, director Todd Strauss Schulzen and um, uh, a lovely Malin Ackerman giving us a beautiful performance. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of this movie and I, I'd really like to talk about it with you in depth. I love this movie. I love this movie. Um, yeah. Big gay following. I know that the gays really love this film and it makes sense. So yeah. And lots of reasons to love it. Lots of reasons. Yeah. It's a great, a great cast. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yay. The final girls. Yeah. Yay. The gays are all getting riled now. They can't wait. Yeah. We love that movie. Awesome. Well, thank you for picking this one. And I'm going to be going back to the 80s uh, with my uh, with my next selection coming up. Don't you worry. But I, I did want to bring it into the, the new millennium and beyond just for one uh, before we take it back to a classic. So uh, you guys stick around. We've got some really, uh, really great films on the list, including some recommendations that we finally have gotten some suggestions from fans. We love that. So we are going to start filtering those in as well. Yes, we have one that we are going to do very soon. So Yes, yes. But uh, please keep recommending uh, titles for us to review because we will keep adding them to the list. And um, until then, until the next episode, Troy, thank you for picking this movie. I really enjoyed it. Yes, and thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate it. And until next time with the final girls, we will chat soon. Farewell, everyone.